Welcome. This week's Torah portion is Parshas Korach. Parshas Korach has the fascinating story of a really tragic incident that happened while the Jewish people were in the desert, in the Sinai Desert, and that was the uprising, the rebellion against the leaders of the Jewish people, Moshe and Aaron, led by Korach. So Korach is going to rebel against Moshe and Aaron's authority, and we're going to delve into exactly what triggered this and how deep their issues were and what they were you know, fighting against, essentially. But the first thing Korach did, he wanted to create a rebellion, he needed some people on his team, some people on his side. So the people that he recruited was Dasan and Aviram, were well-known troublemakers in the Jewish people, and they also had a whole audience from Shevet Levi, 250 people, who all joined them in this uprising against Moshe's authority. So there's two opinions about when this story took place. The first opinion is of the Ibn Ezra, and he says that this incident took place after the inauguration of the tabernacle, the Mishkan, the people that were chosen to serve Hashem in the Mishkan and later in the Beis Hamikdash was the Kohanim. But prior to that, the people who were originally destined to be the special group serving Hashem was actually the Bechorim, the firstborns. Korach was a Bechar. So that means originally he was destined to be a chosen servant of Hashem. And when the Mishkan was inaugurated and that was changed and the, the Bechorim lost their privilege, which is another discussion of what triggered that, the Kohanim replaced them, and that caused a lot of jealousy on Korach's part. In addition, Dasan and Aviram were from the tribe of Ruvain. They had their own resentment, the Ibn Ezra says, their own resentment, and that was they lost their privileged firstborn status to the offspring of Joseph, who later became uh, like the status of a Bechar, and uh, they were upset about that. And the Ibn Ezra also assumes that the Levium who joined in this rebellion, maybe they were upset at being pushed to second place, so to speak, because the Levium are secondary to the Kohanim. They help the Kohanim, but they're, you know, they're only essentially assistants of the Kohanim, and maybe that's what caused their jealousy. So overall, there was a lot of jealousy, and this happened and was triggered by the inauguration of the Mishkan, and that's what happened now. Now, the inauguration of the Mishkan did not just happen. It happened, uh, you know, a month and a half, two months ago in terms of uh, weekly Parshas. It happened about six to eight Parshias ago. So why is this incident recorded here? So the Ibn Ezra says that the Torah is not necessarily written in chronological order. The Torah is not a storybook, and therefore it's okay for it to be out of order. Generally, there is a reason why it would be out of order, and he doesn't offer an explanation as to why that is now. But overall, it's okay for the Torah not to be written in order. The Ramban, Nachmanides, has a more uh, traditional approach just in terms of the organized layout of the Torah, and he says that Korach is perfectly in its proper chronological place because it happened after the story of the spies, the Miraglim, in last week's Torah portion, Shlach. And Korach had these 
issues and jealousy that he had, but he took advantage of the resentfulness that the people had because the punishment for the sin of the Miraglam was terrible. It was essentially that every single person was going to die and not have the opportunity to enter the land of Israel. Everyone over the age of 20 was going to wander in the desert for another 39 years and not be able to enter Israel, so that caused some resentfulness, and Korach took advantage of that. So what was the root of of this rebellion? What was Korach's, you know, philosophical perspective and relationship with God? So I think it's fascinating that there are two seemingly contradictory perspectives that Korach had, and I don't know how he could possibly have both of them. So perspective number one, many commentators say, as I mentioned before, that Korach was jealous of Aaron's position. So this jealousy caused him to accuse Moshe of doing terrible things. He accused Moshe, he's abusing his position and power to appoint his own family members, bring in Aaron, let's keep it in the family, and, and that's the only reason why Aaron got his position. But what was at the root of this was Korach's desire to serve Hashem. Korach was an anti-God. He, doesn't, he wasn't denying in God. He loved Hashem. He wanted to become closer to Hashem. He wanted to serve Hashem more. He was so jealous that he wasn't going to have that special privileged position that he led this entire rebellion, which is terrible. There's no justification for it, but I'm just pointing out that it originally came from a sincere place, and then that went rogue, and that sincerity was expressed in a terrible, terrible, sinful way. But still, Korach was an anti-God. He wanted to become closer to God. Perspective number two, that the commentaries also say, is that Korach went very far in questioning the very basic foundations of Judaism. He was in the category of the worst heretics. He questioned the divine origin of the Torah, of the Ten Commandments, of Moshe, of Moshe's authority and Moshe's position, and the same as Aaron. And he asked some questions that showed some deep, flawed philosophical perspectives. So a a proof of this, an illustration of this, is the Medrash that says that Korach went to Moshe and he was wearing a pair of tzitzis. So tzitzis is a four-cornered garment that requires tzitzis strings to be attached to it. So he went with an all-blue garment, and he asked Moshe, does this blue garment require a blue string of tzitzis? So drop of context here, without getting too deeply into it, the Torah says that tzitzis should have a blue string among the, the strands of tzitzis, there's what we see as eight strands of tzitzis that come out. We make, you know, you have these strings, you have a bunch of knots, and you loop around the string, and then there's eight strings hanging down, which is really four that are doubled over. But one of them is supposed to be blue. That is the mitzvah of techelis, a, a special type of blue dye. Now, nowadays, Many people do not wear techelis because there's a whole separate conversation that this techelis is sourced from a very unique blue dye, which some are of the opinion that we lost the tradition of where that dye came from. So many people do not wear techelis. Some people say we do know where it came from. They do wear techelis. But regardless of that, the the original mitzvah in the Torah talks about a blue string. 
So Korach has a blue garment, not a blue string, a blue garment. And he says, does this require blue dye on the string as well? And Moshe said, yes, that is the halacha. That's what the Torah says. It would require as well. And Korach scoffed at that, and he ridiculed, ridiculed that, and he said, that doesn't make any sense. If a white garment, or any other color garment, can become a kosher pier of tzitzis by having a single blue string, then all the more so, a garment that's completely blue should not need any blue on its string. Let the string just be white. So, you know, take it or leave it if you like that argument or you don't like that argument. But Korach said that he, he proved from there that the Torah is illogical. And if it's illogical, the whole Torah must have been the product of Moshe's imagination, not given from God. So, regardless of the details of this argument, what you see here is that Korach was really questioning the foundations of Judaism. He was accusing Moshe of fabricating the entire Torah. How could Korach have it both ways? How could he be jealous that he wants to have a better position of being closer to Hashem and serving Hashem, and then at the same time question whether Moshe made up the whole Torah? How could it possibly go both ways? Did he want to become closer to Hashem, or did he deny in in everything? So I saw an idea quoted from Reb Hirsch Goldworm, who says that once Korach found an excuse to challenge Moshe's legitimacy, meaning to say he started questioning him and accusing him of, of abuse of power and, you know, bringing in his brother Aaron for his own benefit to be, have a, a high position in service of Hashem. Once he was able to go there, it was a short step for him to de- deny the divine origin of the commandments and then hold them up for ridicule. Because if he could be suspected of appointing his brother as the Kohen Gadol, then maybe he could also be accused of fabricating the whole Torah. So, essentially, what Rabbi Goldorm is saying is that it was a slippery slope that Korach went down. Step one could be as small as accusing a great leader or a rabbi of something terrible, of doing something for his personal honor, or any kind of just you know, lower level jealousy, something that's causing him to to act out, to question the Torah. And that starts small. And and that comes might come from a sincere place. But at the end of the day, that could lead to the worst sins in the world. An uprising, a rebellion that Korach did is a, a horrific ad, act of desecration of Hashem's name and probably a whole long list of various of sins that are being done in the process. So the message that he takes out of this is how careful we have to be even about the smaller things. When we're jealous, when we have some kind of issues with someone, we're upset at someone, we should realize that this could lead to a very, very bad place if we don't really be careful. So that's a little bit of a takeaway that we can take from this. But I want to discuss another angle of this as well that has baffled me. What was Korach's problem with tzitzis? His problem was, I don't want to get too nitty-gritty in the laws of tzitzis, but essentially his problem was that the Torah is illogical, or he found one area of the Torah that's illogical. And if it's illogical, it must be the figment of Moshe's imagination. 
is that good logic? Is that where you would go with that? If you saw something in the Torah that's illogical, which everybody can think of, read the Torah, learn about the mitzvahs, educate yourself on Judaism, and you will find things that seem to be illogical from our human brains. Does that cause us to say, well, this doesn't make sense? What kind of God would create such a Torah? It must be that this is just some person's ideas. Some person decided he's going to go write the Torah, write the, give us these commandments that don't even make any sense. A person could mess up like that. Is that what you would say? I want to suggest that maybe we would think the opposite. Maybe we would say, what kind of person would be stupid enough to create a Torah that has any aspect of it that's illogical or that doesn't make any sense? That doesn't, no human being would do that because he's trying to, I guess, invent a religion, spread a religion. He wants thousands, millions of people to follow in this religion for thousands, tens of thousands of years. You wouldn't write something illogical in such an invention of a religion. So it must be that this was created from by God. If it doesn't make sense, only a God who has created a religion that is perfect, that is emes, that is truth, that is the very existence of the world, that could be something that there's components of that we don't understand. But what kind of person would be silly enough to have a creation that is illogical, that doesn't make sense. I think there's other examples of this as well. One of the more famous ones is the mitzvah of Shemitah. The mitzvah of Shemitah, the Torah instructs farmers in Israel to not work their land every seventh year, the year of Shemitah. And the Torah says, if you will do this and you will question, where am I going to get my food from? You can't just close your business down for a year and expect to feed your family. The Torah says, I will instruct, I will send my blessing. The Torah promises that anybody who keeps Shemitah properly will receive incredible bounty in his farming work the years prior to the year of Shemitah that will be enough to fill up his bank account, fill up his storage houses with food that will last him straight through the entire Shemitah. Okay, we, we discussed once in the past whether that applies nowadays or perhaps that guarantee of blessing does not apply because uh, keeping Shemitah is a biblical commandment only when the Jews are living in Israel and we have a base of Mikdash, etc. I refer you back then. But um, for now... The Torah has given a promise that is an impossible one for a human being to create. No human being would be dumb enough to create a religion and write in the Torah that if you do ABC, I guarantee you this kind of blessing. Nobody would do that because the second it's not fulfilled, everybody will call bluff. Everybody will say, okay, that's done. Great idea. This guy had some nice religion. He wanted to create. He wanted to spread. And he pushed it, right? He pushed his limits a little bit. He guaranteed a promise. The promise didn't come true. Done. We're out of here. This is garbage. This is nonsense. Only Hashem, only the creator of the world, can truly write something that he is guaranteeing that he's going to come through and give some kind of blessing.
So I want to propose that when we see something as illogical in the Torah or something doesn't make sense, that could bring us closer to Hashem. I should mention another example of this. Really, there's endless examples, but I was, I was talking to someone here and I was talking about this topic and he told me that it was once the holiday of Sukkot and he was in synagogue and he was shaking the Dalad Minim, the mitzvah of the four species that we shake on Sukkot. And he was next to a ger, a convert to Judaism. And he asked him, and he said, you know, when you were in the middle of your journey to Judaism, what did you think about this mitzvah? Because if you think about it, without any knowledge of what the mitzvah is about Torah Judaism, it doesn't make any sense. You're being commanded to go take a bunch of plants and fruits off a tree and shake them in circles? There's no sense to that. How does that make any sense? So he said, I just, I won't understand. When you're coming close to that Hashem, like, this didn't turn you off. This mitzvah could seem so silly. And he said, no, on the contrary. I saw something like that, and I said, this must be truth. Nobody would make this up. This must be a God-given instruction and not some nonsense that someone made up. So here again, you see this perspective that sometimes something that's illogical could be more reason that it comes from Hashem and not reason to think that somebody made it up. So I ask again the question, why did Korach come to Moshe with this problem of tzitzis suggesting that this means that the Torah was invented by Moshe? I don't have an answer to this question, but I think one thing is true, and that is it might matter who we are and what we're striving for. What are we seeking in life? If we are trying to come closer to Hashem, I think we will find opportunities everywhere we look at any time of day or year and see godliness in it. If we wanted to wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today I'm going to find Hashem. I think you can do that by the time you get to work. You can get into your car and say, okay, I'm driving. I got a 12-minute commute. I'm going to find God in my 12-minute drive. And you'll find it. You'll look out for it. You'll notice the scenery. You'll notice the trees. You'll notice the people. You'll notice things that you might have never noticed before. And you'll be like, wow, what a beautiful world. What an incredible thing. If we are looking for Hashem, we'll find excuses. We'll find scenarios that will lead us and bring us closer to Hashem. That ger, that convert, was seeking God. So he found God everywhere. But if we're looking to run away from God, if we're looking to turn our back on the Torah, on Judaism, we'll find excuses for that as well. We'll find things and we'll say, oh, this doesn't make sense, this can't be, this is silly, this is illogical, this is too hard. We'll, we'll just find things and we'll be like, no, it can't be, there's no God, there's no Judaism, this is not compelling. We'll find a way out. Our psychology will lead us to go where we want to go. Truth is beyond psychology. Chazal say, The way that a person wants to go, Hashem allows him. We have free will in this world. Hashem cannot offer us absolute proofs of the existence of Hashem 
And the fact that Hashem runs our life and helps bring us where we need to go, because then there would be no free will, there'd be no Bechira, we would have no challenge. So our free will leads us to have two ways to look at everything. We could see Hashem in it, we could see God in it, or we could turn our back to it and see everything as an excuse to, to walk farther away from God. Sometimes you might see special people or rabbis who seem to see Hashem everywhere. A famous rabbi, Rabbi Victor Miller, used to walk around with apple seeds in his jacket pocket, which he used to feel with his hands. He used to take out and show people, and he would talk about how clear Hashem's existence is from this apple seed. And he would give a detailed scientific explanation of how the seeds work, how it falls on the floor, how it gets nourished by the earth, how it sprouts, how it grows, how the tree grows, and all the unbelievable amount of sophistication that goes into an apple tree. Look, you see Hashem right here in this almost microscopic little seed. So what is it that gives that rabbi the ability to see Hashem? I think it's because he's looking for Hashem. And if we would look for it also, I have no doubt that we'd find it as well. So I think a takeaway that I took away from this parsha, I think is such a powerful one. If we want to become closer to Hashem, let's look for Him. Let's actively try to seek Him. Find ways to see His presence during our day. And I have no doubt that if we do that, we will find Hashem everywhere we look. Thank you so much for listening.